He's one of South Africa's greatest rugby players, a Springbok captain, a former World Player of the Year, a Rugby World Cup winner, a European Cup winner, and an English Premiership champion. He's now a full-time dad, part-time car renovator, and occasional rugby analyst on Supersport. And now Skulk Berger can add the title of Maverick Sports podcast guest to that impressive CV. I'm Craig Ray, and it's my great pleasure to welcome Skulk into the studio today. How's it, Skulk? Thank you very much. Thank you to this prestigious opportunity. <laughs> um, I think probably tops uh, the list of achievements I've had so, so far uh, in my career. <laughs> that, that list of things. When you hear that read back to you, do, do you ever sort of sit back and think that was a quite quite a good career? I think whilst you're playing, no. You know, mm. you, you obviously, because the next thing is this coming up, you know, you win an award or you win a trophy when you, uh, like similar to the Springboks now, you know, it's a young Springbok team who won the World Cup, you know, the next thing on their mind is Super Rugby. So you don't really get chance to reflect. You get caught up in your own career, so yeah. to speak. Um, but now that I've had, you know, time to reflect, you know, we uh, we achieved quite a lot of things. And, you know, it's nice, nice to reminisce. You know, there's a few old group chats and you know, you're starting already starting the chat like in my days when we used <laughs> to win trophies and individual accolades. But uh, I guess yeah. Once you finish, it sinks in, and you know you you realize that you've been on quite a journey. It was a seventeen-year rugby career, and I loved every moment of it. Yeah, and I mean, you you come from that generation where it wasn't just rugby at school. I mean, you did other sports, and uh, I think maybe we just started that point because so many schools these days you just play rugby from you know the, the, the first team gets together in December for their first games in March, and and you know they they play till August or September, so they're taken out of cricket, they're taken out of water polo. You did all those sports, I think, as a kid. You did a lot of – you played cricket. So what's your sort of take on on the sort of obsession with rugby? Do we need to go that way to be successful or can there be a balance? I suppose it's hard, you know, because, you know, there's pressure everywhere. You know, if you're a high school coach at Paljum, like Peter Russo, there's pressure. There's pressure to perform. You know, how do you, you know, prepare your team better is by starting earlier, you know, getting them fitter, stronger, getting better prepared. And we all know preparation beats pressure. But, you know, when I was at school – there was already a little bit of pressure, but, you know, I was just, you know, doing both. You know, I used to start playing second team in the beginning of the year for Paul Jim Rugby because, you know, I missed the whole preseason because I was playing cricket. Hmm. Often missed the warm-up games and then one or two early league games. You know, but I just wanted to play both. You know, I actually loved my cricket more than I did my rugby. And I think, you know, what we, is unique to South Africans, um, and it's partly because of the climate, but I think partly because of opportunity when we were younger, is that we've got a lot of multi-talented sportsmen. A lot of cricketers can play rugby, football, you know, a lot of, you know, good rugby players were great cricket players. And I was just one of those many in our generation. I do think, you know, playing different sports give you a different skill set. Yeah. Not only, you know, feeling-wise for catching and passing, but also, you know, vision-wise and then preparation because there's a massive difference in preparation between rugby and cricket. Rugby is a team sport, flat-out team focus, where cricket is a team sport, an individual sport with a team aspect. You know, for you to do well, you've got to get your own ducks in a row and say, listen, yeah. I've got to go score 50 or 100 runs or take five wickets. or, and, and that's individually based, you know, and then the team aspect follows. So I think a lot of my preparation and approach to rugby was actually stemmed from playing a lot of cricket. Now I was super relaxed when I played rugby, but I knew exactly where I wanted to be, you know, individually. Well, I think sometimes in a rugby team, you can get a bit lost between what you want to achieve and then, you know, what the team's, you know, the team's achievements or what they want to achieve during a game can be. And you can sort of get lost with and lose focus of, you know, you know I still got to go do my job. Um, so I really do think like t- players, especially young kids, should be exposed to as much mm. sports as possible, and then try and focus later on you know narrowing it down. Because I know kids now start at fourteen. I am a rugby player. 
you know, I didn't know at 14 what I wanted to be, whether yeah. it was a golfer or a cricketer or a rugby player. I mean, I think you ask A.B. de Villiers the same question and he's got no idea. Jar Cullis, same story. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm not a massive fan, but unfortunately, you know, it's a sign of the times and, you know, people yeah. seem to specialize younger and younger. Um, I would hate to do be at school now and, you know, only be a rugby player when I'm 14. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's so much to be gained. I'm a big believer that football is such a good sport for because it's a 360 degree game. You know, you've got to you've got to pass to where the guy's going to be, not where he is, and that kind of thing, which you don't get in rugby. And I think all those skills can translate and cross over into other sports. Yeah, I think Australia's got the best game for a youngster to play as Aussie rules. Yeah. No, there is no rules, <laughs> and you kick and pass and you run around. Yeah, you know, that's what you forward, do forward, backward, any way you like, any way you like. You know, and and I was exposed to quite a lot of football with my kids uh, growing up in the UK. Um, and it's such an easy game. Everyone runs. Everyone can kick a ball. Mm. You know, rugby is quite a difficult game to play when you're young. Yeah. You know, because there's so many technical aspects to it. Yeah. You, know, you can't really, play on concrete. You, no. know, you can play soccer. Two, exactly. two shoes as goals and, uh, and rugby. Car park. You know, rugby yeah. is a religion here yeah, in South Africa. Mm. So it's a bit of an adaptation coming back here. Yeah? I mean, I remember when we were growing up, like we all wanted to be a Springbok right? mm. or you want to play for the Proteas. Um, those are the two main ones I wanted to do. Yeah. Mm. Um, so uh, my kids are playing a lot of football and, you know, I wasn't exposed to it. You know, that's why I think we're Saracens warm up with football. I think the South Africans are the worst footballers, <laughs> bar one or two Polynesians. So that means it's just about the whole Saracens team then. <laughs> ever to grace the Saracens training pitch. Um, but, um, yeah, football's a great. I think any sports yeah. are good. You yeah. know, it, it just, you know, broadens your skill set. Um, and you often see the guys with the best skill sets in a rugby team would have played a lot of other sports. Yeah, absolutely. Now... Yeah, it's life after rugby. What are you? What are you doing these days? Uh, I know we've all seen you on Supersport, but uh, I suppose the obvious question is: Do you want to coach at any point? Because you're quite technical. But yeah. what are you doing day to day? Day to day, not much really. I'm doing weekends. I'm doing Supersport. You'll see me there again. Um, uh, I've actually joined one of my friends, Sean, Sean Ziliger, in a, a better known Zama. We've got a small little uh, commercial property business. Um, and then the rest of the time is split between trying to keep my four cars on the road because they're all aging from various ages from 23, 23 years old to like a couple of years old. Um, and then, you know, just spending some time in Cape Town. You know, it's a great spot. I've been away for five years. Uh, just came off a nice big holiday in our West Coast home in Azerfontein for the first time in six years. So um, I'm trying to, uh, you know, still take it easy. I always said it's a sabbatical, but, you know, the sabbatical didn't really take place. I ended up doing quite a bit of stuff. Um, and, you know, I'm really enjoying life after rugby. I think it's quite a big transition for all of us who finish. Um, but like, I'm really looking forward to it. And it's nice to have the freedom. You know, I always say to people, when you play rugby, you get in, you know, this first week in January, you normally have your get together and a few fitness tests. And then you get given your yearly schedule. Mm. And you basically realize, okay, the next 40 weekends is is rugby. Yeah. yeah. So it's quite nice to have an open diary and, you know, sort of, um, it's one of the challenges too, is how, how to manage your diary, which we never used to do, uh, you know. So uh, I'm really looking forward to the challenge. And I'm also enjoying having some time off, you know, as I mentioned before, you never really get a time to reflect and do things you want to do when you're playing rugby. Yeah. Because uh, your weekends are taken up. Now I've got weekends and, uh, you know, Friday nights have become my favorite night ever. Yeah, fantastic. And I mean, talking about that diary, so many kids today go straight out of school into a rugby program. And you know, by the time they're 30, they've never done anything. Everything's been managed for them. And then you suddenly may be a career ending injury or they step into out of rugby. It, it must be quite a big transition. You were obviously from a slightly different era where you, you probably didn't have that kind of protection that they have today um, in that environment. Is that 
Can that be problematic for, for players? I guess so. I mean, when we were playing, it's one of the things I responded to, but also one of the things that frustrated me after a while is like the fact that you're so organized, mm. you know, that your yearly training schedule, everything gets set out. Yes, one or two training schedules might change during a week or you get injured and you go on a, you know, a personalized program. But I mean, I, I really like the fact that, okay, this is my year, that's what you were. But then halfway through it or towards the end of my career, you actually don't like that. You don't like to be so boxed in. Um, so yeah, that's one of the challenges now is to run your diary, fill your diary. You know, it seems a simple task, but you know, it's something we never had to do. You got a lot more free time. You know, what do you do in this free time? Luckily for me, I've got quite a few hobbies. I want to get started again. Stuff rugby took away, you know, surfing, playing guitar, you know, you know, fixing up some old cars, uh, playing a lot of golf. Um, so, you know, I try and fill the day with some nice stuff. Um, but then at the end of the day, we've also got to launch a new career, uh, yeah. which is a challenge in itself. And, I, th- I suppose only time would tell. Uh, there, there's no, uh, there's no rule book when it comes to retiring. You know, mm. I, I bounce ideas some of some of my friends who had similar length of career, and everyone's got a different opinion. Yeah. Uh, so I actually want to take a bit of time off and you know, um, you know, do a bit of super sport television work. You know, do a bit of everything. You know, to mm. see where I might fit in best. So uh, luckily for me, I'm, I'm buying some time and I'm enjoying it. So Rugby World Cup 2019. Um, uh, yeah, the Springboks were young, are a young team. There were a couple of old guys in there, but yeah, this should be the beginning of something uh, rather than the destination. You know, they they did well and they won, and that's great. But how do we build on from that? Because you know, already I just did a count the other day at Super Euro Sunday, for instance. Um, there were only um, sixteen of the thirty-three men who went to the World Cup, if you count Neil Carney and Creel as well, that are going to be available in Super Rugby this year which is quite a low number of a World Cup winning squad. So how do we sort of carry that momentum forward, A, into Super Rugby and B, into the Springboks later on in the year? That's the hard part. And that's why I think we're going to battle in the next few years till you get to the World Cup. And the main reason I say that is because, you know, as the national coach, you you don't have control of your squad. You know, we're not like New Zealand where all your players are still based there or England. Um, although that might change because Saracen's going down, you know, there might be one or two players playing either in the championship or in Europe, but you don't have control of your, your players based abroad. Um, and it's hard. And the only time you do have control over them, uh, according to IRB regulations is in a world cup. Yeah. Mm. You know, they, the Springboks spent 22 weeks together, you know, and finally it culminated in winning stuff and every world cup. We do give a good account of ourselves because you know, now we've got our best 30 players at our disposal, which you don't have in between these, you know, in, in between the World Cups. You know, this year, for example, the, the European-based players, the Japanese-based players, only gets released on the Sunday evening. Yeah, before, before the first the, test. Before the first test. So it does make it very hard. And it's such a competitive environment, international sport. It's just the, being a tiny bit off and the result goes against you. So I think it's going to be hard. And and because of that reason that, you know, we don't manage, we can't manage them as a squad of 30 or 40 of our best players because mm-hmm. they spread all over the world. And that's unfortunately the South African landscape. But what it does create is a lot of opportunities. I know when we were young, you know, playing for a Super Rugby franchise in the old Super 12, only every year a youngster, a franchise came through. Now with the high turnover of players, the same with, you know, the high turnover of Springboks. Um, and a lot of senior Springboks playing abroad, it gives so much opportunity for younger talent to come through. And that's where we're fortunate in South Africa is that we're exposing so much talent. Mm. And uh, we at, at the current time, you know, realizing how deep these riches are. 
And you don't become a good international player overnight, and that's the challenge we've got. It's going to take 30, 40 test matches for us to realize how good an international player you are. And unfortunately, when you're a younger player, you make mistakes, yeah. and you learn from those mistakes. And and I think you know it's for the rugby public and the coaching staffs of you know, every Super Rugby franchise and the Springboks to have patience and realize that this is a hard process. But there's no doubt by the next World Cup we'll be competitive again. I just don't think how competitive we are going to be in between the World Cups is you know what's up in the air. We don't know, um, mm. and we don't know which players are going to be fit and who we're bringing back. Yeah, because after every World Cup, you know, as South Africans have it, we have a big change in management. Yeah, and that's in itself is a big process of how building up a management. We saw it under Alistair, and then Rossi took it over. But on know, that point, we're going to Ninava is going to be. Head coach yes. it hasn't been announced, but we all know that that's the case. And and there will be uh, stick will still be around. Elliot Walters will still be in the in the setup. They are going to bring in uh, Don Himon and um, as a consultant, and uh, I think um, Dion Davids is going to handle lineouts. And so there is a fair amount of continuity from a coaching point of view. Ninaba and 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 Russi are very aligned. So would that be a benefit? It is, but there's a different voice. Yeah, the mm-hmm. voice was Russi Rasmus you know, for the last twenty months. Now it's Jacques Ninova. Yes, Rossi is still controlling it from the top, but it is different. Yeah. It is different. I know they're very aligned, so traveling schedules, everything will be planned according to, you know, the Springboks needs, which is important because it's tough competition to travel in and around of um, uh, the championship. So, but there is going to be a big change. This even for Jacques Ninova is a big change. Yeah. Because there's, there's a lot of media, extra responsibilities. You know, Jock, I know him very well, lovely guy, magnificent defense coach, but he's a mechanic. He wants to be on the rugby. He's a rugby mechanic, defense mechanic. He wants to be spending time in front of the video screen, wants to spend time with players, individual tackle technique, and then in the team structure. And, you know, unfortunately, being the national coach, that's you don't what do that. <laughs> you get taken away from it. There yeah. are other responsibilities, media every day, and not only that, managing certain players, certain situations. So that's why it becomes quite tough if you're so involved in a certain structure when you become head coach. Well, I wonder if, uh, in this case, Rassi as director of rugby, and because they're so close, he might take on some of those responsibilities for Nienaba to allow him to continue working on the field. I don't know the answer to that, yeah. but I suspect that might be a clever way to go about it. I think so, but I think, obviously, part of Rassi's job description is not only the Springboks. Yeah. You know, there's all the other competitions he's got to get up, all the other teams, um, you know, all the Super Rugby franchises, he's got to look at all the structures and the way going forward. So it's mm. that's Rassi's responsibility, not solely the Springboks. Yeah. Um, so I think it's a nice fit, um, and, I, and I think it's going to be a hard year for everyone involved because, you know, obviously you've just come off a World Cup, and it's always difficult to pick yourself up yeah. after a World Cup. And traditionally, we as South Africans have shown whenever we've won a World Cup, the next couple of years has been hard, you know. Yeah. So... Um, yeah, look, it's it's going to be a challenge. I, I like what we've done, um, you know, it's, yeah, having um, Jock taking over because, you know, with Rassi, Rassi, they've come a long, long way, yeah. you know, from free state days and then to the Stormers and mm. you know, then SA Rugby together. So, um, I mean, we've got the best minds in South African rugby involved and that's what you want. Yeah. Um, it, but there's a high turnover of players once again and you'll have to look at new players because um, a lot of the, the older players that played in 2019 will probably not make it, you know, to the next year. So, you know, we will have to do careful planning where you know, maybe we need some of our older statesmen to carry the team for two years and then you know, move on. And hopefully by that stage, you've got a good idea of who's taking you further, you know. 
Um, so, um, yeah, it's, it's always tough, but it's exciting, as I mentioned. We've got so much talent. You know, this year, again, there's going to be exposed. We're going to be exposing, you know, 30 new players to Super Rugby, yeah. uh, give and take. Um, and all of those players have got an opportunity to play for the Springboks. We'll get on to that Super Rugby in a moment. But just uh, there's a lot of comparisons to this year, uh, to 2008, because the British and Irish Lions came in 2009. They're coming in 2021. So this is, I suppose, the next cycle you're looking at is that that's the key. And as you say, maybe Dwayne from Maryland can play on until... 2021 at least. Uh, um, just your recollection. I mean, you were a 2007 World Cup winner. Then there was all the transition in 08, and you guys bounced back really well in 09. Um, you know, maybe draw on some of those experiences. How can the Springbok team do something similar? Hopefully, 2020 won't be as bad as 2008 yeah. was. But you know, yeah. Look, upon reflection, 2008 was not that bad. Well, you finished strong. We, that 42, we, six over. No, we, we, we were just inconsistent. So mm-hmm. we, we, um, you know, we lost a few games we shouldn't, but we beat the All Blacks down in. Um, then Eden for oh, the first right, yeah. for the first time, Ricky January you know, yeah, showing Ricky a chip kick yeah. score. Obviously, record score till this day against England. Yeah, that, that, was great, 40, that was that performance was forty two points to six. The, the reason why we were inconsistent it was transitional year. Mm. You know, Peter De Villiers took over from Jake White, which we obviously had a lot of success. We had a lot of senior players, great ages, like reasonably young when all of us won the World Cup, um, and we had a certain style we wanted to play. And Peter was implementing something different. Uh, also, we had ELVs. Yeah, there was the big experimental year. law variations, which we trialed out in the southern hemisphere. It never got implemented in the northern hemisphere. So there's a lot of change, um, and because of that, they, we had cons- inconsistencies in our performance. We also beat uh, Australia at Ellis Park by sixty points. I think it was fifty-three something. John Ginocchi scored John four Ginocchi tries. Scored four tries. Sorry. So, I mean, it wasn't a complete disaster, but. You know, from the form we showed the previous year, there was definitely an inconsistency, and that's probably what the public was hammering on—the fact that we lose mm-hmm. against, all, lost against the All Blacks by two points in Cape Town. Back then, was quite a big thing. You know, mm-hmm. now in reflection, it's not such a big <laughs> thing. Uh, and then, obviously, two thousand and nine. I think towards the end of two thousand eight, we sort of sat Peter down, and I think we got a blueprint of what we wanted to do. You know, we obviously our franchises was going good at that stage, which is a little bit different because we, you know, most of our players were still based um, in South Africa. Yeah. Uh, so '09 was a big year for us, and besides, you know, beating the uh, the British and Irish Lions, you know, we managed to beat the All Blacks three times yeah. in a row. You know, we beat them in Hamilton to win our second Tri Nations, won our first one in 2004. So there was a transitional phase, um, but like we were quite settled, I think, as a player mm. group. I think where the difference this year is obviously there's a new coach in Jock Nienaba, although he's been in the Springbok structure give and take for a long time since yeah. twenty first time Jock worked with the Springboks, I think it was twenty eleven before the twenty eleven World Cup. So that's going on ten years wow. now. Yeah. Um so he understands what's required to coach the Springboks. Um I think maybe a higher turnover of players. And as I mentioned, you know, how do you manage the squad? How do you bring guys back? Because it's also hard. A lot of these players have gone on long-term overseas contracts for their first year. So do they get released? Do the club release them in time? You know, how nicely do you work with all of them? And I think Rossi's key to his success is that he sat down with the clubs mm. individually and said, listen, there's a plan for each and every one of you guys. You know, so maybe not use you for every test match the year before the World Cup, but World Cup, I'm going to press on you to come for 22 weeks. Yeah, And that's why I say by the next World Cup will be competitive because we'll be actually be able to manage our player group. When you don't manage them, it's hard because – you know, players come and go every yeah. week. So we've got Super Rugby coming up now. 
again, going back to those 2008-9 comparisons, the Bulls were dominant, the Stormers were good, the Sharks were always competitive. Um, and now this year, we, we didn't have a side in, in the semifinals last year, which is the first time in a long time no South African side even made the last four. Um, what was your take on Superhero Sunday, just seeing the first proper hit out for all the teams against each other? Yeah, it, it is hard, I think, for a couple of reasons, is that, you know, we didn't have disposal to all our best players. You know, some of our Springboks are still getting phased back. And then I think for all the coaches, it was an edgy experience because it's almost like the result mattered a lot. Um, Which it shouldn't in those kind of games. I, I don't think it should. Mm. You know, what should matter is work rate structure, line out, um, the blueprint that you set out, the culture that you set out. Are you getting dominance in the scrum, the line out, your defense? Uh, is your attacking structure? We don't mind individual errors. Individual errors in these games always are there because players have trained for five months, but they haven't actually played in the intensity of mm. a warm-up game in front of 25 or 30,000 people. Um, so I think from that point of view, we probably looked a little bit underdone, um, but you can understand why the coaches was looking for a result because everyone is new in their role. Uh, obviously, Puerto is still over from last year, but so the Sharks, the Lions, mm. the Stormers, it's all young inexperienced coaches or experienced coaches, but inexperienced at a super rugby level. Yeah. And therefore, I think it was important to get a result, to have something positive to feed off from. Um, uh, my approach probably would have been a bit different. You know, the result probably wouldn't have mattered, but I would have wanted to see work rate, physicality, how quickly we set in structure, how effective we can be in, in stuff we want to be. So creating opportunities, kicking to touch, how effective is our line-out more? Um, and we probably didn't see enough of that. Um, in contrast, I watched some of the All Black uh, warm-up games. Uh, same same thing there. A lot of the top internationals weren't playing, but their focus was different. It wasn't result based. You know, it was you know how good are we, our skill sets, our yeah. work rate, how quickly can we sit. So um, you know, from what I saw from the two, um, I think we've got a, a fair way to go to compete against the All Black sides again. Um, but then, you know, talking from the Stormers' point of view, we've got quite a nice start. You know, yeah. we, we're playing the Hurricanes, which is very hard to beat them as well has lost Plum. Plum's move, moved on. Yeah. New coaching staff, so they'll be a little bit nervous coming down to Cape Town. First game of the season is never, never easy. Uh, so maybe it gives us opportunity to get off to a good start because we've got, you know, what's it, seven home games in, a, in nine or so weeks. Or, yeah. So, um, yeah, we've got opportunity to get off to a good start. But, yeah, there's a lot of work. And it's hard for the South African uh, franchise at the moment because it's a tough competition just because of travel logistics. Um, your squad, your player squad ran through injury. You know, at 16 weeks, you've got to try and keep a team together. Uh, again, we've had high turnover in players. You know, I know we're especially thin at centre yeah. um, down in Cape Town. We've got Jamie Roberts who's coming in from <laughs> Do you Bath. think that's a good acquisition? I mean, the guy was a hell of a good player yeah. five, seven years ago. Is he still good enough? I think so. Whenever you move from competition to a different competition so from premiership to um, super rugby or, or from bath and their structures to western province or stormers and their structures there is a climatization period so don't expect too much up front but he's a quality player he's a nice bloke mm. uh, he's going to add a lot of value on and off the field um, it's just about how quickly you find his, your feet and sometimes when you're a player moving i've obviously moved through in between a few competitions you just need that one game, eh? You need that one game where things roll your way. The game comes to you and you have a massive impact on the game and then all of a sudden you're flying. So we all hope for Jamie to come in here and fit in. Absolutely. And, um, you know, the other backdrop to South Africa's super rugby sides, all of them, 
financially, every union in this country is struggling. I mean, when the Stormers' problems are well documented. Um, but the Bulls, you know, they, they are in financial trouble. The Sharks had a lot of issues, and I believe they were given a big bailout quite recently by, by a, a sponsor. Um, how, does that affect players, knowing what's going on in the background, or do players not really get too concerned about that unless their paycheck's not paid, obviously? No, I think definitely had an influence on the mindset down in Cape Town the last two seasons. Um, and I suppose the fact that there wasn't ever, in my understanding, clarity on the situation. Um, and, you know, it's hard to squash rumours. You know, the next thing, you know, the rumour down the corridor is, you know, am we, are we getting paid? Am I, am I contracts mm. getting renewed? And I think that's a hard thing down in Cape Town was, you know, we couldn't really move forward with our contracting uh, of new players. You know, who do we keep? Who's going how do you manage your squad? And that's imperative, especially in the South African landscape. If you, I mean, you can't wait till everyone's out of contract and then go, listen, we've got to sign 15 guys. You'll never be able to afford them. Yeah. If you start, if you can be proactive and move, you know, way ahead of their deadlines, then, then you've got a chance, you know? So I think that's been hard. Um, I think the landscape in South Africa is hard, but I, I also think there's much room improvement in our contracting structure and from our franchises to be more proactive. Yeah, um, we we know we've got a lot of talent, but we can't be arrogant and say this is the only talent we've got. Because often you know, we see it in cricket now in the Pretiers, and I'm not saying rugby is going to go you know, have the same issue. But you know, a Jar Cullis or AB de Villiers is not a once in a generation player; they're once in a five generation player. That player just doesn't get born tomorrow. Yeah, and we've been spoiled in South Africa for a long time. You know, players go, and the next bloke come in and looks just as good. You know, Victor Matfield leaves. The next bloke, Ludi Acher, comes and he looks just as good. Mm. And I and I, I don't think we should rest on our laurels and say that's going to keep on happening because one day we'll wake up and says, "Listen, where's all our locks gone?" Yeah. Um, and you know, look at now. I mean, all our locks at the World Cup playing their trade uh, abroad. Yeah. So you know, a next generation's got to step up, but it's not going to say that the next generation is going to be as good. You know, we've got a good chance in South Africa. It's um, not a guarantee. So, yeah. Mm. So I, th- I I think. You know, although it's hard to keep our players, I think there's more effort from both entities. And you get two types of players, in my opinion. You get the one who's always going to leave, leave early, um, predominantly because he doesn't back himself to play a major role in the Springbok jersey. And you get the player who thinks he's good enough to play for the Springboks. And you'll always be able to hold on to that player for a longer period of yeah. time. Um, and you see it in the Cape Town with a bunch of Springboks who's re-signed. Main reason, you know, is obviously they love Cape Town and the Stormers, but, you know, they back themselves to play for the Springboks for another four years. Yeah. And talking about this, the pathway, I mean, one of the biggest pathways is obviously the junior Springboks. And your dad was there, sound under 21s, now it's sound under 20. They haven't had great success over the last few years. I mean, you guys built on the 2002 team. Well, the 99 team won the, the original junior world championships in Argentina, which had John Smith and a few others. Then the 2002 team was you and Free Dupre and Joan Smith and all those guys. And um, and then 2005, even under Peter de Villiers, there was a few of the Springboks that came through. So how important is it that the junior team eventually comes through? The You know, the 2012 junior team at Andre Pollard and a few of the guys that are in. And, and, and we haven't had that for a few years. Is that a worry for you? Um, I think it is. Um, I, I thought they were quite unlucky in a couple of them. Uh, certainly 2014, they were unlucky. Yeah, they were, they were unlucky, but I suppose it is a big worry. I mean, our success on Jake White was pretty much based on the World Cups he won, in, uh, Junior World Cups he won in 99 and, and us in 2002, and that formed the basis of his team to win the World Cup yeah. 
in 2007. Um, look, we're producing so much talent and a lot of talents getting exposed everywhere. Uh, so we should be very competitive. Uh, yeah. I mean, so um, I think, you know, if you look at English football, they went through a tough time. And for the last, I think, four years, they've pretty much been dominating every single age category in the world, yeah. junior football. And I think finally that's starting to filter through in the Premier League. You see a lot more young English players getting exposure. They're playing um, in Europe and also their national sides looking stronger than they have in recent past. So I think there's definitely something that we as South Africans, we probably got the right structures in place. We had a bit of bad luck, but I think that should become a big focus for us. We should, we should target that as one of our big, big events in a year. And I think once that focus comes, I know they've got a good coaching staff in there. You know, once, once that focus returns, um, it can only be good for us. And that's where Rossi pl- comes in. I mean, that's part of his that's brief part of, to get those guys. Part of his brief. And you get those players to play South African rugby, understand what it means to play for the Springboks or the Junior Springboks or Springboks in the 20s. And, you know, they, they entered with the same mindset that, you know, we were playing for the Springboks. Mm. You know, all of a sudden, we as South African build up a resilience and a reputation. And you'll be amazed how far that reputation goes because we beat the super generation of the All Blacks, like the who's who from you know, the All Blacks team who won the World Cup twice. And and we beat them in 2002 with our super yeah. generation of players. And that mental edge goes a long way. You know, they, they, you know, sort of closes out a lot of doubt. Um, and I think that's what probably helped our generation beat them so, so often. You know, obviously our best was three times in 2009, but every year we beat them from 2004 onwards. We beat them every single year. So, and I think a lot of that's down to 2002, where you know the first time we encountered each other, where we showed resilience. Yeah, you beat them in a semi-final at Rao. At Rao, yeah. Um, And and I think you know that's where the blueprint of our team sort of the foundation gets laid. You know, and I I think you want to see that from the junior Springboks. Yeah. And, and and talking about those great clashes with the All Blacks, because, you know, I guess you're synonymous with some of the clashes you had. I mean, one that stands out for me was 2005 Newlands, where you beat them 22-16, yeah. you and Jerry Collins. I, I, I just remember some of the, you could hear the collisions from the sideline. What's your recollection of that game? Um, the late look, Jerry Collins. Yeah, look, it's, I mean, whenever you play, play Jerry, it's like one of those, I mean, you're never going to back down. You, know, you can't back down. And if you do back down, you know that, you know, he's just going to run at you for 80 minutes. Yeah. Um, so you just, uh, I suppose I wouldn't do that anymore, but I remember catching the kickoff three or four times in a row and just running straight at him. Yeah, uh, well, that's how I remember I it. Didn't, I didn't even look <laughs> left, right. Anyway, I just looked at Jerry and said, listen, okay, let's crack, let's have a flat out crack at each other. And he did the same when he, he caught the ball, he ran straight at me. Um, they came off second best quite a few of them but you know the main thing is you just didn't back down yeah. you, know, you got the ball and and that was the heartbeat of the pack back then you know we had Bucky's who was as fierce as anything and me and John Smith we just had to get stuck into them and we knew that if we can put them under physical pressure you know over 80 minutes we've got a real good chance you know we obviously um, had a really good back line you know Brian Abana John De Villiers Hmm. Uh, I think he scored an intercept try yeah, did, yeah. In, in the first half. And it was after Matfield clattered Carter late. So which, Matfield <laughs> actually clattered Byron Keller. Oh, Keller, so Ke- excuse me. Keller late. Um, and I suppose, you know, you play the All Blacks, and back then we, we used to see the Hucker, and for us we understood the Hucker as a challenge. It's a big challenge. And not to disappoint them, and not disappoint them by, you know, 
they're expecting the biggest game of the year. Mm. Let's give it to them. Um, and look, we were still a team we won it in 2004, um, you know, by beating them in Joburg and then the Wallabies down in Durban. So, they, I mean, there was a lot riding on that game because that was, you know, um, our chance at winning it twice in a row and we came but you know, 90 seconds short of re- retaining it in Dunedin, Kevin Milami scored off the back of the line. Was that one too? Yeah, and that was uh, just a miscommunication in the line-out that yeah. went over the back, didn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, so, it's those margins you talk about. So it's <laughs> such fine margins. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, you know, looking back now, you, we were very competitive against All Blacks in most of those games. You know, obviously, you know, there was a few games which you got wrong. Um, but, mm. you know, that was fast. That was the biggest game. Uh, we loved playing against the All Blacks. And, again, I think it stems back from that, game in 2002 where we beat them and a lot of those players you know was coming through into the system we played against them and we had belief that we were better than them you know what was your um a guy like jerry collins what was your relationship with the guys off the field is super super relationship look on the field it was brutal yeah. and you know it's one of like it's not often you tackle a mate and there's not always going to be a follow-through like you want to make a big hit on him yeah but there's not going to be a little elbow in the in the face or a little get up and bump him with a knee against there jerry collins Either way, whether I was tackling him or he was tackling me, it was always a little follow-through, yeah? a little <laughs> bit of a, a short-arm jab or a little bit of a high shot or a little, you know. Mm. Um, and that was just his role in the team, and I knew that was my role in the Springbok team. But as soon as the end whistle went, there was nothing. Yeah. Uh, it was a hug, it was a chat, uh, often a swap of jerseys, uh, followed by quite a few cold beers. So that's the way rugby should be playing. It was, yeah. it was a guy who never whinged. He did his thing. I did my thing. Not always above board. You know, we went a little bit overboard with each other, but you know, it was it's just what rugby stands for. You know, you you want to play against your mate, you want to smash him, but as soon as that there's no there's no hangups. Yeah, that's yeah. rugby. You did your job. Yeah, let's let's you know have a good chat, have a beer, and that's the way I approach the game. Was he the toughest opponent, or who was the toughest opponent? Do you think you? So Cherry was tough of the physical challenge. Mm. You know, and you got the feeling that you know he wants to hurt you. Yeah. Um, but the toughest blokes I played against is probably the two international flankers I cut my teeth against was uh, George Smith and Richie McCall. And they were brilliant players. Um, and I realized as a young, because I'm a bit younger than them, as a youngster that, you know, this is going to be tough, um, but it's also going to be good for me because you know, it's one of those those type of you know, rivalries where you do one good thing and they do two good things and you keep on cha- you cha- uh, chasing each other. You just became better and better. George was probably the most natural, talented player. Um, mm. Just um, good timing, you know, nice little skill set. Uh, Richie was tough, um, just competitive, uh, absolute worker. And the fact that he never lost rugby, any rugby games, really. I mean, what did he lose? Fifteen Test matches, yeah, no, hundred, hundred and fifty uh, odd. Mm. Um, and then obviously, I probably was like a bit of both, and I had a bit of, you know, I probably had more physical attributes, natural physical attributes than them, you know, a bit bigger, you know, a bit more aggressive. Um, so I think like all of us complemented each other well. I played in a in a loose show in, uh, with uh, George a couple of times at the Barbarians. Mm. Um, it was in 2009 when we beat the All Blacks. We actually beat them for a fourth time, Barbarians against <laughs> yeah, the All Blacks right. at Twickenham. <laughs> and it was Rocky Alsom. I was number eight. And uh, George was uh, open, Good open yeah. side. And then 2008 played Barbarians. I was number eight again. Um, Richie McCaw open side. Jerry Collins blind side. Um, and he just realized, you know, why they're such tough players to play against. And, you know, why for such a long time we were in competition. 
together. Obviously, you know, you can't play against those guys by yourself. And I was very fortunate in South Africa for a long time for all those big clashes. Have John Smith with me, yeah, which is a great player. You know, our eighthmen. We had a lot of eighthmen come and go. Like we obviously had Jacques Renier, we had Big Joe Finnecake, we had Pierce Beast coming back later. Obviously, in 07 World Cup, Donny Rousseau did a yeah. phenomenal role there. Uh, but for a long time, it was me and Juan against, you know, Jerome Haino and you know, Richie McCaw or Rocky Elsom and George Smith. And uh, I mean, it's, it's it was a golden era, for, I think, for loose forwards in the Southern Hemisphere. And uh, yeah, it was never easy. You know, and uh, but I'm thankful for that because I think that just makes you a better player. Yeah, for sure. And do you have any? Are there any games that you would call your favourites, or, or maybe your worst and your favourite, or um, is it not that easy to? Yeah, I mean, look, there's there's a lot of games that I enjoyed. Uh, predominantly playing against All Blacks, a lot of them. Uh, also playing against England, especially our win against England uh, um, was magnificent. The 42-6, no one gave us a chance. Um, the 36 0 Thirty-six. No, I didn't you guys, play that. I was yeah, of course, you were suspended do, for that one, but you were on the sidelines. Did the Springboks reach near perfection in that first half? I think. I think. Yeah, uh, we we played really well in that whole World Cup, um, except the final was quite cagey. Um, to, you know, we England came to us. They played in Bloemfontein and Pretoria in June, and we gave them fifty-eight and sixty points respectively. Then thirty-six. No, so we thought, okay, mm-hmm. they done and dusted. And then you get them back in the final, and the English side then went back to what they know makes them hard to say. So don't play any rugby. Kick it, scrum, maul, tackle, and they were as competitive as anything. So it was a hard game, although we were in control. I feel ninety-nine yeah. percent of the time, it was a tough game to put away. Where if you think the box this year sort of. Never really got going until the final. Yeah, you know they were. They always felt like after a performance, there was something left in the tank. Yeah, they peaked at the right time, didn't they? And <laughs> and they got it. How you get it under that amount of pressure? How do you get it right in the final? I didn't think they even know, but they got it spot on. Yeah. Uh, like our World Cup was the other way around. I think we played very well for the whole tournament, and then quite cagey in the final. Uh, but obviously, a World Cup win is yeah. uh, spectacular. And I mean, the main thing is relief. It's such a high pressure situation. Yeah. And you get to the final, all you want to do is get the game done with and, you know, get the result. Um, I mean, obviously, within there, there's some individual performances. Like when you, you start out your career, like my first, uh, my second start for the Springboks was in Cape Town against Ireland in 2004. Got a man of match at Newlands. It's probably one of my favorite, you know, because. That whole week, I was like, "We need to put a big one in here. I want to have a man of the match." And you don't want to, you want to do it at your first home test match, don't you? Um, so, like, I, I loved playing at Newlands. Yeah. Uh, every time we played a test match, yeah, I was fortunate to play quite a few. You know, I, I gave it a bit extra. You know, I just loved playing in Cape Town in front of the Newlands crowds. Back then, we obviously were so well supported. You know, yeah. we we're averaging forty thousand people per game. Yeah. Uh, and I lived um, right next to the stadium, like uh, 50 meters from the stadium and, and five-fourth road for 10 years. So <laughs> I sort of just snuck through the railway stand onto the pitch and off I went. So, um, nice. uh, look, there's many, there's too many to remember. And stadiums, I mean, besides Newlands? I mean, I um, remember you scored a try at Croke Park famously, which is... Yeah, was... that's a great, great experience, Croke Park. Mm. Um, um, yeah, I like um, Cardiff. Uh, yeah, it's great principality stadium is the best one I think for atmosphere I, I can't believe they ever leave the roof open mm. close the roof get the atmosphere yeah. get better weather as well yeah. um, and then you just have a full on rip and, and the Welsh can sing which is amazing yeah. um, I like Newlands um, you know Twickenham's a nice stadium but I don't quite get the same atmosphere yeah. as I get uh, in the Welsh stadium 
obviously um the viva in in Ireland is really nice yeah um Australia funnily enough doesn't have a lot of great rugby stadiums you know they're all dual purpose so you yeah. don't actually have the quite the uh, the best one for atmosphere there is probably Brisbane Suncorp yeah um and then we also played in a ridiculous stadium in uh, rugby world cup quarter final in 2003 i think it's now redubbed the etihad but it's the the Aussie rules stadium oh, that, yeah. with a closed roof they actually played cricket yeah indoor cricket in there which That's is melbourne just, eh? yeah. it's in melbourne yeah it's yeah. just an unbelievable stadium um and my favorite stadium in new zealand will be the new one in dunedin yeah uh, the uh, forsyth forsyth bar forsyth bar the closed stadium uh, it's probably got the best atmosphere um love touring new zealand all the years i actually love all the countries love argentina too yeah um we have steak and red wine <laughs> obviously um and you know we travel to great places you know even like italy is a great place to travel or even though rugby is not that great japan i mean wow japan i, I spent two seasons there you know, what an experience yeah well we could talk all day but i think we're going to just uh, if, lastly, if you had to do it all over again, would you do anything differently? Nah, uh, no chance. Uh, I mean, like I, I finished school my first year with a with a cricket contract, uh, so I was bound to play cricket. Oh, really? I didn't know that. And um, yeah, so playing for Stellenbosch University, playing for Bullant Academy every weekend, and there was a reason why I still went to play some Scalum rugby on the side. You know, <laughs> I I enjoyed it so. I can't really change everything. You know, I sort of fell into rugby and then, you know, the first guy to spot me was Jake White after school. Saw me playing for Stellenbosch University and sort of asking, you know, where you at? You know, what are you doing? I said, no, I'm playing cricket. So he said, why don't you just... <laughs> no, Jake, you would have like, what yeah, are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, how old are you? And I said, no, 18. He says, no, come join me. It's under 21 camp. And that's how I fell into rugby and just, you know, luckily, you know, obviously, you know, just went my way. I mean, I would say the one thing... You know, for everyone out there, like I, I loved rugby, um, but I think the big thing I think with youngsters now, where like I would I would want to see more from them, and having played with a lot of generations of rugby players, and we're like when you do get your opportunity, just give it a whirl. You know, I often see players get an opportunity and they sort of play within themselves, mm -hmm. and they hope they get another opportunity. You know, the one thing that I really wanted to do is when I got an opportunity, is do it my way. But go flat out. There. You know, I will make mistakes, but I think no one could ever doubt saying that. Look, he gave it one hundred and twenty percent. So no, I wouldn't change anything. I loved everything. We made mistakes, uh, but the nice thing about making mistakes is you can pass that knowledge to someone else, and hopefully he doesn't make it, and you learn from it. Um, now, one of the things I enjoyed of my career probably the most is the fact that you know, from when I started, um, was seen as a one-trick pony, and then over the years to extend your career and through injuries, you had to change. You know? Yeah, you had to sort of change the way you play. And for me, that was one of the most gratifying things: is you know, sort of changing your role. You know, playing all around the back row, you know, going from a complete basher and a bruiser to you know, playing something a little bit different was uh, was a nice project for me. Well, never change as a person. Thanks, Golk. Thank you. <laughs> Great. Thanks for coming in. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to the Maverick Sports Podcast and keep reading the Daily Maverick for in-depth news and sports coverage. Let's take a few seconds to tell you about Maverick Insider, our membership community that keeps Daily Maverick going. For a small contribution a month, you can help Daily Maverick survive and even thrive. Our journalism is free to all, but we need your support to keep it that way. All you need to do is go to dailymaverick.co.za forward slash insider and sign up for as much or as little as you want. It makes a huge difference to us and to South Africa. And we promise not to blow it on a private box at the cricket at the Wanderers this weekend.
Please also remember to subscribe to the Maverick Sports Podcast and to our Maverick Sports Newsletter. Thank you, and until next time. Thank you.